Well, I greet you each this morning in the name of Jesus. Again, it's good to be with you. It's always good to come to Ebenezer. I want to begin this morning with several questions for you to think about. How important is it to you that you live a life of holiness? And along with that, what are you willing to do in order to accomplish this? Now, I think most of us here this morning would say that this is something that's very important to us. We want to live holy lives. We want to live pure lives. But there's a problem. We live in a very unholy world. We live in a world that, where evil is rampant all around us every day. Things that not very many years ago we had to go out of our way to access, we now carry with us in our pockets every day. And we have an adversary who is an expert in subtly drawing us away from God, away from the life that God has called us to live, the standard that God has called us to live up to. And sadly, way too often, he has succeeded in making God's children deviate from the way that God has planned for his children to walk. So this morning, what are you willing to do to live a life of holiness and purity in our evil society. Several months ago, a brother called me from another congregation, and he wanted me to come to their church and share a message on social purity. And as he was sharing with me, my mind was started to run, and I was thinking, now what is social purity? And... I just assumed that this was something that everybody knew and I was just ignorant of. So I gave it some thought and I told him that, that yes, I would do this. And over the next several weeks, as I talked to people, occasionally it would come up that I was to share this message on social purity. And about the first thing that everybody would ask is, what is social purity? And so I began to realize that I was not alone in my ignorance. But I began to think about this, to study this, and um, came up with what I decided social purity was. And I was, I was blessed as I studied this subject. I was challenged as I studied this subject. Um, so this morning I want to share this message with you on social purity. Now it would be interesting to get your input on what you think social purity is. This isn't a term that you can look up in the dictionary and, and see that, okay, this is social purity. The fact is you can't even Google it and see that this is social purity. So, therefore, I had to come up with a definition on my own. It may be different than what you would come up with, but here's what I decided social purity is. If you break this word down, there's two words, social and purity. The word social has to do with relating to people, or relating to society, and then purity is holiness, uh, free from pollution, free from filth, clean. So social purity then, by my definition, is us maintaining a right relationship with God while while we relate to our society. Now, you all know that our society as a whole is very, very wicked. And so I believe the question for us this morning is, how do we relate 
to a very wicked society and yet maintain a a right relationship with a holy God. Or in other words, how do we relate to a filthy world and not become filthy? And before I attempt to look at the Word of God and give us some guidance on this question of how do we relate to a filthy world and not become filthy, uh, I would like to lay a foundation for this subject by first addressing the question, why is this important? Why is holiness important? We serve a holy God. We serve a God who hates sin, who hates impurity. And God has always required, ever since the beginning of time, that if you are going to follow him, you need to live a life of holiness. He required this of Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve fell, they were punished. There was consequences. He required this of the children of Israel. And he requires it of us today. God requires that if we are going to be his children, we must live holy lives. We must live lives of obedience to him. And if we don't, there will be consequences. We will be punished. We can't say that we are following God if we aren't living lives of purity and holiness. In Psalm 24, the psalmist asks the question, he says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? And then he says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They're the ones that are going to see God, that are going to be blessed by God, the ones that are pure, the ones that are clean. It's only those people who live intentional lives of holiness, only they are going to be the ones that obtain the reward of the righteous. So now a few more questions for you this morning for you to think about. The first one, do you love God? Now, this answer, this question is pretty obvious, right? You're at church this morning. Of course you love God. We all love God, right? This, this answer is pretty obvious. But I have another question for you. Do you hate the world? Now, if you're like me, the second question is a little harder to answer than the first one. Do you hate the world? And I trust that you understand when I ask that question, I'm not talking about the people in the world, but rather the world system, the world's, the things that the world loves, the things that the world are captivated by. Do you, do you have a hatred for those things? In 1 John 2, we read this, 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a powerful verse. We can't say that we love God and yet be enamored by the things of the world. The two don't mesh. We can't say that we're followers of God and yet long for the things of the world. If we love God, then we must have a hatred for the things of the world. 
Then verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So do you love God? Do you hate the world? Now this passage in 1 John is not the only passage that talks about this. In James 4, verse 4 we read, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In Psalm 97, verse 10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Romans 12, 9, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now, I ask these questions and I share these passages, again, to lay a foundation for the subject this morning. How do we relate to the world? What is our purpose in relating to the world? And how do we relate to the world and yet not be encumbered by the things of the world, not be sucked into the system of the world, not be drawn to the, the things that the world is, is, is following, is pursuing. Too often I find in my life that I say I love God, and yet I have a fascination with the world, with the things of the world. I'm enamored by those things. But if we are truly God's children, then we must have a hatred for the world. We must have a hatred for the things that God hates. Now we have many examples in scripture of men who demonstrated purity, lived holy lives while living in a very evil society. Some of the more obvious examples of this are men like Joseph, Daniel, uh, some of the prophets, Jeremiah, men who basically had to stand alone, stand by themselves, stand up for what was right, even though they were surrounded by evil. But as I thought about this, I had to realize that anyone who has ever decided to follow God has had to do it in an evil society. No one, the exception may be Adam and Eve. They, they could follow God in a perfect environment, and they still fell. But anyone since then who has wanted to follow God has had to do it surrounded by evil. And so it's a very pertinent question for anyone who wants to follow God. How do we do this and remain pure, remain holy? The person that I want to look at this morning for an example for us is David. You can turn to Psalm 101. David is not someone who lived in a, who had to stand alone in his and where he was put like Joseph did, or like Daniel did. He was surrounded by people he knew. He was surrounded by people who loved him. He had spiritual leaders around him. And yet, he, he still had to stand up for God in an evil environment. He still had to take stands to say, here's what I'm going to do, or here's what I'm not going to do, in order to be right with God, in spite of the sin that's around me. And he's also, he's also someone who fell. He's also someone who, who failed in this area. And I think there's, there's things we can learn 
from the commitments David made, and there's also things we can learn from the mistakes David made. And I'm going to look at both of those this morning. So Psalm 101, this is a psalm of David, and I would say that this psalm is David's commitment to social purity. So Psalm 101, I want to start with the first two two verses. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So here in these two verses is David's commitment to God. David saying, God, here's who I want to be. Here's how I want to live. I want to, I want to praise you with my voice. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want my walk to be pleasing with you. I want to live in such a way that if you show up at my house, I don't have to be ashamed. David says, oh, when wilt thou come unto me? He wants, he wants to live his life in a way that God is pleased with. He does not have to be ashamed to, for God to see how he's living. So that's David's goal. That's his commitment. But I'm sure you're aware of this. There's a big difference between having a goal and accomplishing a goal. And the rest of this psalm here is David's game plan for carrying out this goal. David's, David's commitments that he makes, here's what I'm going to do and here's what I'm not going to do in order to accomplish this goal, in order to live this way so that I don't have to be ashamed before God. So verse 3. <clears throat> I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Now, in these verses, David does two things. Number one, he lists things that he says are not going to be are not going to be a part of his life. I'm not going to allow these things to be a part of me, to be around me. And the second thing he does is list some things that he's going to be very intentional about making a part of his life. I'm going to bring certain things into my life. So these are the two things that David does, and I think these things are very crucial for us as well if we want to live holy lives in a wicked world. And... I want you to notice as well, these commitments that David makes, they're personal commitments. If you you read this passage, over and over we see, I will. I will do this thing, or I will not do this thing. And I think that's important, because I think too often we make our decisions based on what our authorities 
either lets us do or don't lets us do. We wait for our parents or our church leaders or whoever's our authorities over us. We wait for them to tell us what we can and can't do. And if they haven't said we can't, then it must be okay. But David here is saying, I want to live holy, so I'm not going to wait on somebody else to tell me what to do. I'm going to make these personal commitments. I'm going to make, take these, these stands personally. Here's what I'm going to do because I want to be right with God. And I think that's so important. So what does David say that he's going to eliminate from his life? The first thing in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Now, David doesn't put put any exceptions here, does he? He doesn't say, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, except for occasionally when I'm in the checkout line at Walmart, or except for when I'm on a business trip and I'm staying in a motel overnight, or when I'm just goofing off with my smartphone. He doesn't put any of these exceptions. The fact is, I don't even see an exception here for Super Bowl Sunday. There's no exceptions here. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's what David commits to here. Because David knows that if he allows wickedness to come before his eyes, it's going to draw him away from God. It's going to, it's going to mess up this holy and pure life that he desires to live. And he doesn't say that I'm not going to put wickedness before my mine eyes because I know God doesn't like it. He says, I hate it. David personally hated these things. And so he says, it's not going to cleave to me. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It won't cleave to me. A very powerful commitment that David makes. Why do you avoid evil? Is it because we know that God won't be pleased? Or is it because we hate sin? Because we know that it's displeasing to God. Again, we need to have a hatred for the things that God hates. Then the second thing David says in verse 4, a froward heart shall depart from me. Or someone who is perverse, someone who is crooked, David says they're going to have to depart from me. And then he says, I will not know a wicked person. In Proverbs 11, verse 20, we read, They that are of a froward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are his delight. Do you hate the things that God hates? God hates a froward heart. God hates a perverse person, a crooked person. And David says, I do too. I'm not going to allow these things to be a part of my life because I want to be right with God. I want to I live a life that God is pleased with. So a froward heart is going to have to depart from me. And then he says, Whoso privately slanders his neighbor, or someone who tears somebody down behind their back, someone who gossips, someone who spreads rumors, he says, I'm going to cut them off. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I'm okay with cutting off a wicked person, but 
Now we're talking about our own family or our own church people. And unfortunately, I think too often that's the case. Too often, and we may even do it ignorantly, but too often we tear each other down. We talk behind each other's back. We, we gossip about other people. And David says, I'm going to cut these people off. Now he doesn't say, I'll never associate with these people again, but he says, I'll cut them off. Or the NIV says, I will put them to silence. So in other words, hey, stop. I don't want to hear that. <clears throat> Some time ago, I was with a group of young men, and just re- real recently before that, uh, another young man had been in a very bad car accident. He was... I think on life support at the time, and, and actually after that time, he, he ended up passing away. But there, some of the details surrounding this accident were a little, people weren't quite sure about. It happened in the middle of the night, and uh, there were some things we didn't know. But there was about three of us there discussing this accident, and one of the young men said, well, I don't know if it's true, but I heard and another one of the, the men sitting there said, well, then don't say it. He said, I don't have any room. I, I don't have time for gossip. I don't have anything going for gossip. And that challenged me because I was sitting at the edge of my seat waiting to hear what he had to say. But he cut him off. He said, don't say it. If you don't know it's true, then don't say it. Let's not tear this person down that's laying in the hospital on life support if we don't know it's true. And that was a challenge to me. Then he says, Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. God hates pride. Do you? Do I? And then he says, Him that worketh deceit, him that telleth lies. How do you relate to someone who isn't honest. David says, he shall not tarry in my sight. Yeah, these people come up with good stories, but God hates deceit. God hates dishonesty. And so David makes a commitment. I want to be right with God. I want to be, do whatever it takes to be pure before God. And so these people, I'm going to take action against. I'm not going to suffer. Now, I find it very interesting. You're probably familiar with the the passage in Proverbs 6 where we have a list of things that God hates. And if you read those verses and you parallel it with this passage, they're very similar. The things that God hates are the things that David is saying here, I'm not going to to allow them to be a part of my life. It's it's not exactly, but it's, it's very close. David hates the things that God hates. And if we are going to be right with God, if we are going to live a holy life, we need to develop a hatred for the things that God hates. Now, I believe that the things that David addresses here in Psalm 101 are very rampant today as well. They weren't just a problem in David's time. They're a problem in our day as well. A froward heart. Someone who spreads rumors. Pride. Deceit. 
these things are rampant in our day as well. And I would suggest with our communication methods today, they're probably even more rampant. It's very, very easy to go online and say, look what I did, or look what he did. How do we handle this? If we make the same resolutions that David did, it's going to change the way we relate on Facebook. It's going to change the way we relate on a day-to-day basis. If we take these commitments, the fact is we might lose a lot of Facebook friends, cutting off a lot of people who show pride, show deceit. It's going to change our life. But again, how important is holiness to you? How important is living a pure life to you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be right with God? Now, we could read this psalm, and we could conclude that the best way to live a life of purity in an unholy world is simply just to just isolate ourselves from the world. David says in verse 4, I will not know a wicked person. In verse 5, he says, Him will, not, will I not suffer. In verse 7, he says, He shall not tarry in my sight. And in verse 8, he says, I'll just destroy all the wicked of the land. Now, that would take care of the problem, wouldn't it? If we just get rid of all the wickedness around us, isolate ourselves from the world, and live as hermits or, or monks or whatever you decide, then we can live a life of purity. Now, is that what David is implying here? I don't think it is. Is that what God desires for his people? I don't think it is. David's not saying that I will never associate with a wicked person, but he is saying that I'm going to associate differently. There's certain boundaries I'm going to set up. There's certain things I'm not going to allow. I'm going to be very intentional in the way I associate with these people because I want to be right with God. I think that's what David is saying. When I was a young boy, we had a group of neighbor children that started coming around, and we would, we would play with these neighbor children. And the one thing that became very evident up front was their language was different than ours was. And this was something that concerned my parents because they used words that my parents didn't want us using. Now, my parents had a choice to make. They could have said, don't come back. But that's not what they said. They told these young boys, they said, listen, if you are at our place, these words we don't want you using. And it was amazing how quickly they adapted to that. And when they were at our place, they didn't use those words. And I even remember one time, I was over at one of their houses, and one of the the mothers used one of these words. And the little boy said, hey, don't use that around the Mennonites. Now, I skipped over verse 6 when I was looking at this psalm. But verse 6 has a very important part of maintaining holiness in an evil society. Verse 6, David says, not only am I going to get evil out of my life, there's also things I'm going to put in my life. He says, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. We can't simply hate what God hates. 
we also must love what God loves. We must fill our lives with good things, things of God, people that can build us up, people that can encourage us. Those things are very important if we're going to live a life of holiness. And yes, we're going to be out in the world. We're going to relate with the world. God desires that we do. But yet, our core group of people needs to be godly people, people that can strengthen us, people that can encourage us to maintain that life that God wants us to live. Now, this is a powerful commitment that David made, and yet David fell. And I wish I knew when this psalm was written. Was it written before David's sin or after? I don't know. But David fell. Now, I want to look at David's fall just briefly. I think there's a very important lesson here for us. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have the account leading up to David's sin with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel 11, here's what it says, verse 1, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, I don't know what was expected of David here in this passage, but it appears to me like David wasn't where he was supposed to be. It says that this was the time when the kings went forth to battle. David had sent all his fighting men. He sent, it says, all of Israel, and yet it specifically says that David stayed at Jerusalem. Now, what was David doing in Jerusalem? Maybe he had business to attend to. But if you look at the next verse, here's what we read. Here's what David was doing in Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And then you know the rest of the story. David was at home taking it easy. He arose from off his bed. He walked upon the roof of his house, looked over the countryside. All Israel was out fighting, and David was at home in bed. And the devil took this opportunity to drag David down. I can just imagine that David reasoned, listen, I'm getting older, I fought a lot of battles. I deserve to take it easy. And David fell. I think there's a very important lesson for us here. If we are going to be faithful to God, we must not ever stop fighting. We are in a battle, and the devil is just waiting for us to lay our armor down, and then he can come and get us. But we must never stop fighting. And... I think this is especially a lesson for you older ones. You've been fighting the battle for a long time, and you're tired. You're weary. Now your children are going. Now you have money in the bank. It's time to take it easy, right? But don't stop fighting. The devil's waiting for you to lay your armor down. Don't stop fighting. We must keep on 
until we finish. Someone told me recently that there's nothing quite as discouraging as to see an old saint fall. Someone who's been faithful all their life to fall. We must keep fighting. Now turn to John 17. We've looked at David, the example David left. Now I want to look at what Jesus said about this subject. Here in John 17, this is the prayer of Jesus. Jesus here prays for his disciples, and he also prays for us today, those who would respond to his word after he was gone. I want to start with verse 14. Here Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says this, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then jump down to verse 21. Jesus, in this verse, is praying for us. And he says this, That they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect and one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Now, I think there's a lot that we can learn about social purity in this prayer of Jesus. Number one, God desires that we relate to the world. In verse 15, Jesus prays, don't take them out of the world. That's not what I'm asking for, Father. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. So God doesn't desire that we just isolate ourselves from the world. God desires that we relate to the world. God knows that we're going to be in the world. But he wants us to be very intentional about avoiding evil. Keep them from the evil. The second thing we see in here is there's a specific purpose that God has for his children being in the world. He wants us in the world because he wants the world to see who Jesus is. In verse 21, he says that the world may believe. And in verse 23, that the world may know. We are in the world for a purpose, for a distinct purpose, to show the world who Jesus is. To show the world that Jesus is the Son of God. And this needs to be our goal as we, as we relate to the world. This needs to be our purpose in relating to the world. And we must keep this in mind as we relate to the world. We don't relate to the world simply to drum up business, to, to get business or, or whatever, to indulge in their, their pleasures. We relate to the world to show the world who Jesus is. That's why we do it. Now, how does Jesus say that we're going to accomplish this? Is it by what we say to the world? Is it by the, by the tracks we shove in their hand? Jesus says that we are going to show the world who he is by the way we relate to each other. That's how we show the world 
who Jesus is. Our loudest witness to the world is not how we relate to them. It's how we relate to each other. We should love relating with God's people. We should be unified. We should be together. We should have a a common goal. We should work together. And by doing that, we show the world who Jesus is. Uh, We're told that again in John 13, verse 35, where it says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. That's how we show the world who Jesus is. We also have another very important ingredient for maintaining purity in this passage. Verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If we are going to remain pure in this corrupt world, we must fill ourselves with the word of God, with the truth of God's word. And that's so important if we are going to be holy in this corrupt world. In Psalm 119, verse 9, we have this question, Wherewithal shall a young man, young man cleanse his way? And the answer is, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. We must have the word of God in us, a part of us, living in us, if we are going to be holy as we relate to an unholy world. So, what is your purpose for relating to the world? God has placed us here so that we can show the world that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's why we're here. So, how do we live a holy life in an unholy world? I think there's three very important things. We must have a hatred for the things that God hates. We must have a love for the things that God loves. And we must have a proper understanding of why we relate to the world. And I think those three things are very, very important if we're going to live holy in this wicked world. If we're going to relate to a filthy world and not become filthy, we must remember these three things. Hate the things God hates, love the things God loves, and have a proper understanding of why we relate to the world. Now, we've looked at David. I briefly mentioned Joseph and a few others. All these men are men who exemplified social purity, took took stands, made commitments. Here's what I'm going to do to be pure. And these stories are inspiring. These are good examples for us, but that's back there. They have no saving value for us. In no way do these men, can these men keep us pure. It must be a personal commitment for us today. It must be us saying, here's what I'm going to do to maintain this purity that God desires. So what are you willing to do? I want to share two stories with you. These are modern day stories, men that I know. The first one, a young man I grew up with. And growing up as a young man, this, this boy wanted to do what was right. He wanted to serve the Lord. He was a part of the church, and 
he would talk about the things of God. He wanted to do what was right. And yet he struggled. He struggled to have victory. He struggled to live above sin. He was constantly falling into different things, getting sucked up in the things of the world. And the one thing that he would share with you that was dragging him down was his job. The, the people he worked with were perverse. They were corrupt. Uh, and he joined them in this. And he, he, he would admit to you that this was dragging him down. This was making it hard for him to live above sin. And yet he stayed there. Year after year, he stayed there. Now, I don't see that young man much anymore. But I saw him here, I think it was this past summer. He was sitting at a bar with his girlfriend. Now you're wondering why I was at a bar, right? (laughs) The other man that I want to tell you about, he too was having struggles at his workplace. His struggles were a little different. He had a good job. He had good pay, good benefits, but he kept getting promoted. He was a good worker, and he kept getting promoted. Now, normally this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but he ended up in a position where he had a lot of temptation around him. He was around immodest women a lot. He constantly had the Internet right in front of him. He was being asked to, to lie to the employees. He was being asked to be deceitful to the customers, And he realized it was going to drag him down. He realized he wasn't going to be who God wanted him to be in this position. So he did something different. He left. He left. Now, the last time I saw that brother was about a week or two ago at conference. He's now a minister in one of our churches. You see the difference? They both knew what was right, but one of them did it. The other one didn't. And the outcome is eternal. So what are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? Do I hate what God hates? Do I love what God loves? In Psalm 1, we read this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. How is it with you? How is it with me? Where do we delight to be? So, the Lord bless you as you strive to live a life of holiness in a filthy world. Shall we have a song?